0: grace, mercy, and peace to you, from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who grants us great comfort today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, often when evangelicals want to really attack Lutherans or make pastors a little bit cranky, they'll attack our view on baptism. We believe that baptism saves. That's what the Bible says. It says, baptism now saves you. Uh, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. These are explicit texts in the sacred scriptures that we are called to trust in wholeheartedly. Baptism saves. Yet even as we repeat these texts verbatim, there will be people who say, no, 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 no. Baptism is a work. God does not save us by our works. Baptism doesn't save you, silly Lutheran. And even though we can make that clear case that baptism is not a work of man, but of the Spirit of God, as Jesus says, uh, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. We are born of the work of the Spirit of God. They insist it is a work of man's obedience it does not save. And this is interesting because they need to find assurance of salvation somewhere. And so where do they find it? They find it in the 10 commandments. They find their assurance of their salvation not in baptism, but in their obedience to the law. And this is very evident. If you go to an evangelical funeral and listen to the sermon, listen Critically, you will hear, and who will you hear, the pastor preaching. They'll preach all of the good works that the person did in their life. They'll elevate the righteousness of that person that was evident in how they lived and how they functioned. And they will do this to show how that person was a true, genuine Christian. And even as they deny any comfort from baptism, they will proclaim comfort in the Ten Commandments and the works that those people did in the Ten Commandments. And this is a confusion. This is an inversion of how things actually work for the children of God. As we see in our lesson today, this is a complete flipping around of what the Word of God actually says. As we open our Christian, our Lutheran funeral servants, the first thing we do after the invocation is proclaim the words of our epistle lesson. That those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into his death and resurrection. Baptism is not a good work of man, but a good work of God, or good work done by God for us. And this good gift of God changes us. It does something definitive to who we are. It is invasive. And in a way, it's kind of violent because it kills something in us. And it is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. St. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you hear that? A person is baptized, and as that happens, they are crucified and buried with Christ so that they might rise with him to newness of life. And so the person who is baptized undergoes daily renewal of life where the old man, the old sinner, is put to an end, that they might have the new living within them every day. The old sinner is crucified. The old sinner is buried. The old sinner stays in that tomb, and the new creation in Christ daily rises and is called to faithfulness. This is a beautiful thing. To be baptized is for the Holy Spirit to work continual faith and repentance and you see this is a work of the gospel it is the work of jesus who died and rose for our salvation applied to you because jesus dies for the sins of the world a person might say well how do i know this is for me well it's applied directly to the sinner in the gift of baptism that's what St. Saint Saint Peter's talking about on the day of Pentecost. The, the crowds hear Peter's preaching of the cross. They're cut to the heart. They're alarmed over their sins. And they ask, well, what should we do then? And what does St. Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter preached so that the conscience of every hearer was alarmed and pricked over its sin. And then they asked, well, what comfort do you have for us? What can we do to atone for the sin that, that weighs heavenly upon our hearts? We need to make this right. And Peter doesn't point them to a work of the law. He does not have them go to the temple and sacrifice a goat. No, he simply says, be baptized. He gives them comfort in this visible, tangible application of Christ's death and resurrection for them. Peter continually preaches about baptism. He says in his first epistle, Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not like taking a bath. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The washing with water and the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is not meant to remove dirt, but sin that plagues the conscience and terrifies the heart. The Holy Spirit works faith in the cross of Christ, and the cross is the great remover of sin. You are baptized into that cross. That old sinner dies, a new creation rises, the new creation is clothed in Christ. As the Bible says, for as many of you who baptized in the Christ... I put on Christ. Christ isn't defiled by our sin. He is risen incorruptible and imperishable. He sits at the right hand of God. He's the one who fulfilled all righteousness. He kept the law of God perfectly for our sakes. The poor sinners that we are. Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The law is accomplished in Christ. He knew no sin. He never acted against the will of his Father. He never denied or rejected the sacred scriptures. The Ten Commandments were perfectly fulfilled and kept in Jesus. Jesus. But we cannot say the same of ourselves. As we read the Ten Commandments, as we read them this morning in our Old Testament lesson, as they were delivered by Moses from Mount Sinai, we read them as those who have broken them. We are not Jesus. As Jesus has perfectly kept and fulfilled the law, we are only perfect in our failure to keep the law. Those Ten Commandments are a perfect mirror for us sinners. They show our corruption. They show our failure to love God and man. God says, you shall have no other gods. And then we go about devoting our hearts and our energy to everything but God. He says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then days go on without us ever calling upon the Lord in prayer or offering him thanks and praise for the numerous blessings he provides for us. He says, sanctify the Sabbath day. And we Pray that church doesn't run too long, though, as we're called to sanctify the Sabbath day, because it's kind of hot in here. We want the Word, but not too much of it this week, because there's air conditioning at home, right? And then the same can be said about honoring father and mother, not murdering or hating our neighbor, not lusting, not gossiping, not stealing, not coveting. We see our failure as we look at the Ten Commandments, And sometimes we don't want to dwell upon those commandments. Meditating on the law can be painful. It makes us uncomfortable as we see how the law of God accuses us. If it were not for the gospel of Christ, our human nature would have to either throw the law out or alter it to make it somewhat more attainable, a little easier for us. And that's what many will do. They'll reject the Ten Commandments outright and replace them with a law of their own. And that's what we see happening in the world around us today, uh, as they reject the will of God, but they strictly adhere to the moral codes of diversity, equity, inclusion. They will vehemently and radically attack those who question their new moral revolution. They're on the hunt for sinners to call out as racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, body-shaming, patriarchal, capitalistic sinners that they are. Their new morality is a harsh... An unfair, ever-changing law. And it can only be applied to those who do not agree with those who accept it without reservation. Even though it's always changing, even though it's always being redefined, it's a tool to attack those who disagree with its adherence and to make those who do adhere to it feel good about themselves. But then there's the other way of approaching the law of God. That's what the Pharisees did. They kept the Ten Commandments, but not in their entirety. They made them very narrow. They made it so that it was just easy enough for them to claim success, but just hard enough for the poor to fail. And in this way, they elevated themselves over the rest, yet they neglected their own hearts. They succumbed to legalism. They found ways to keep the Ten Commandments outwardly, but inwardly they despised God and they hated their neighbors. They had love only for themselves. It was all lip service. It was play acting, hypocrisy at its finest. And this is why Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is because the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was only a show. It was an outward performance to be seen by men. As Jesus directs us to the heart and shows us that no one is righteous. No matter what standard you set for yourself, that standard does not meet the righteousness that God demands of you. God demands perfect adherence to his law. God expects his creatures to do his will. Yet none of you can do it. I can't do it. Because we are fallen creatures corrupted by sin and bound to death. This is why the Ten Commandments make so many people uncomfortable. They accuse, and rightly so. They hold our sins before our eyes. They show us how much we have failed to do what is good. They unmask our hearts and show us the things about ourselves that we would rather ignore. As a man tells himself, hey, I'm a good husband and a great father. And he believes it until he reads, you shall not commit adultery. No, he's never had an affair. But his eyes did linger a little too long on that scantily clad lady who was not the mother of his children. His heart did drift. A person says, I'm a good Christian. And then the rug is pulled out from under them when the Ten Commandments show them how they've stolen time from their employers. How they've hated their neighbor for making more money than they do. How they've wasted hours and days of their lives gazing at a screen. You see who our gods are very quickly. And that sin, that sin that humbles us, that sin that breaks us, that sin that makes us uncomfortable, it holds us captive. They can't stop doing it. And so they often choose to ignore it and hope it goes away. And it only grows and festers in our souls and so the Ten Commandments become more and more unpalatable, unacceptable as we dwell in our sin, as we live trying to build up our own righteousness. And the only way to be freed from this captivity to sin is through death. That old sinner that likes its bondage to sin must die. That's what happens when you are baptized. Baptized. The old sinner is crucified with Christ. It dies. The wrath of God is poured out upon it as Jesus cries from his cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the righteous judgment of God against all sin is poured out for all humanity on one man, the one who never sinned who never cheapened God's law, nor swept it under the rug to hide the shame of sin, he bears the burden of all sin. And as he bears it, it dies with him, never to rise again. It's buried. It stays in the grave. Our sinful flesh has been devoted to destruction. As Christ rises from the grave, he rises as the one who has freed us from our captivity to sin. You see, you are not the property of your sinful flesh. You do not belong to it. It does not hold you captive. On the contrary, it has been put to an end. As St. Paul says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that means that your sin is daily drowned. It dies in the waters of baptism. And that changes everything about you. You are not a sinner bound for destruction, but you are a child of God who is bound to eternal life. And this should change how you view the Ten Commandments as well. You can rightly say, these Ten Commandments, they don't save me. They provide no comfort. They don't promise anything that concerns eternal life. They offer no assurance of my own salvation. That assurance belongs to Christ. Christ places that assurance in the means of grace, especially your baptism. But that does not mean that the law of God is not good. Now it's God's will. Just as we're free from the punishment that the Ten Commandments bring upon us, we're also free to rightly seek and to keep those commandments in our lives. Baptized Christians should love the Ten Commandments. Not because they merit us, righteousness, or they give us any special standing before God. Those things depend entirely on Jesus. Now, a baptized Christian should love the Ten Commandments because they are the will of the loving God who saves them. See, the law is not a threat to a person who has been washed in life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We can read the Ten Commandments knowing they will accuse me of sin. We can read the Ten Commandments knowing that we will fail to keep them perfectly even in our hearts. But we'll also look at the Ten Commandments as those who are being regenerated by the Spirit of God. See, Paul says in the book of Titus, it says, Jesus saves us, not, work, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, in your baptism, you have the washing of regeneration. See, the Holy Spirit works daily in you to bring that old sinner into nothingness and to build up the new creation that you are in Christ. In short, God works repentance in you. He works newness of life in you. God works in your heart a desire to stop sinning. He opens the Ten Commandments up for us so that we no longer see them as cruel accusers, but as a loving guide to the life that we have been called to live in under Christ. And as we live under the grace of Christ, that means that we will wake up every morning with the desire implanted in our hearts to be faithful to the will of God. We will want to keep His will. We will desire to know and to keep the Ten Commandments. We also know that even as we have this desire, we will fall short. The only thing that we can do then, at the end of the day, as our sin confronts us, as we see how many times we failed, is to return to our baptism. And we can only recall what God has done for us and live by faith in it, knowing that God is gracious and he continually forgives sins. Note here that the comfort is not in whether or not we keep the Ten Commandments, but it's entirely rooted in the promises that God makes for us in our baptism. Now, if a person who has been baptized rejects the Ten Commandments, that person is wrestling against the Holy Spirit. That person's actually denying their baptism. If a baptized Christian says, I don't believe in the Sixth Commandment, I don't need to keep myself pure sexually, that person is striving against their baptism. If a baptized Christian says, I don't need to go to church and be amongst the fellowship of the saints of God, well, that person is striving against their baptism. If that baptized Christian says, it's okay to hate and murder my brother, that person is striving against their baptism. They are not regenerate because they refuse to live in repentance. They are striving against God's work for them and in them, and even for those people, the promise of baptism, though, is still present. Though they live lives that strive against the work of God, they can always return to this gift of grace because it is God's faithful promise. They can remember who they are and who they've called to be in Christ, and they can be called by a loving Christian or brother and sisters to repentance. If they are converted, they can rejoice in knowing that even when they were faithless, God was faithful. You see, so many people who have been baptized grow up to reject their baptism. They go on to live lives of sin and rejection of the gospel. They do not desire repentance. They do not live by faith. But man's failure does not make God's promise any less real and apparent. And though many walk away and reject this promise, it's still there for them. It will always be there, and that should comfort us. It should be a comfort for you when your conscience is overwhelmed with how much you've sinned. It should be a comfort for you as you try to be faithful, but continually and daily fall short. It should be a comfort as the real-world consequences of your sin hurt the ones you love. It is a comfort because each day that we live, is a new day in Christ. Because after all, you are a new creation. And every day, as we live by faith in the gospel of Jesus, that old sinner is drowned and dies and a new creation emerges. Every day, a new person rises as a forgiven and restored child of God. Sin does not rule over you. You are free to strive against it. You are free to pursue righteousness without fear of succumbing to self-righteousness. You are free to live as justified and forgiving children of God. Because that's what Christ does. He justifies and he forgives. He rules in grace. And you are called into that gracious will and working of God When you're baptized in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and in that life of baptism you are free to rejoice in the good and perfect will of god and that means that even if we fall short of it we can call his law good and wise and fruitful and loving and we can rejoice in the will of the god who saves us in the name of jesus amen Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.